0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Valentine's day, February 14th lands on a Sunday. What? Every seven years, I guess. So it's kind of special. I don't know. I, Valentine's isn't like a huge thing. I celebrate regularly, but uh, I get reminded of it. usually with when my wife thinks of a really good gift and I <laughs> have done nothing. But uh, yeah, uh, welcome to Cedar Valley. We're going to get the service started here this morning. Uh, my name is Grant, one of the pastors here at Cedar Valley Church. And this morning I've got Brad with me. Hey, everyone. Hey. Uh, if you're uh, if you're new here, uh,
1: welcome. If it's your first time. You can check us out at hello at cedarvalley.ca, and uh, just drop us a comment.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're excited for that. And uh, one of the best ways for everybody who's joining here to stay informed about the stuff happening uh, week to week, uh, daily, stuff like that is following us on Facebook, Instagram, or signing up for our email newsletter at cedarvalley.ca. We send that out once a week and there's devotionals, announcements, whatever it is, just to keep you informed. What's, um, what's going on uh, yeah.
1: behind the scenes at, uh, at Cedar Valley Church? Uh, joining to our AGM It's going to look a little different than it has in the past. Uh, It's going to be on Zoom. Hmm. Uh, We know there are some of you that might have some challenges getting on Zoom. So if that's you, um, give us a call, give us an email and we will try to help you out and get connected uh, so that we can make sure you are in the meeting as well.
0: Absolutely, yeah, like we we know that this will be a little bit different, it's scary uh, being online only, but uh, rest assured, we wanna make sure that everybody has access to be able to participate, that technology isn't a barrier, because we want you all to be involved, have a voice, hear about the stuff that's going on, ask the questions you wanna hear about, um, that you want answers to, yeah. Yeah, exactly, Uh, and
1: and also if you have any questions Mm. um, about content that's gonna be covered in the meeting, If you could email us those too, that would be hugely appreciated. Then we can uh, have a bit of time to thoughtfully respond and present those uh, answers to those questions at the meeting.
0: Totally, yeah. And we are going to be sending out a report booklet. Uh, We sent it out just on this last Friday's weekly newsletter. It is available. We can get that to you. So sign up for that weekly or for that email newsletter or let us know at the office. And if you want a printed hard copy, we can make that available for you too. Uh, Just stop by the church office here. We'll print off a fresh hot one for you. And yeah, that's where you'd probably get all the information that you want to see. And if you've got questions or concerns or whatever it is, right? And let us know ahead of time. Cause I think a big one is being online. Like this is going to be new for us too. So we want to just make sure we can answer questions in case there's any technical difficulties in case it's way too hard to hear everybody's voice on the zoom meeting like that as well. So yeah. And, and when's that happening? That is the 24th, 28th, 28th, yeah, right. <laughs> 28th. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, the end of the month. It's on a Sunday evening, seven o'clock. Yeah, the last day of the month. Yes, this isn't a leap year, is it? It's not, no. No. Yeah, we don't get that last extra day. day. Of the month. And uh, just for everyone who's joining in too, uh, it's great, it's convenient that Brad's joining us to welcome you here this morning because he is the chair of our elders team and gonna be speaking at that report. And yeah, I think that's just a huge heart of ours is that we know this whole Online pandemic season has been tough maybe disconnected feeling, but we want you to be informed We want you to feel involved and that you still have a voice in the stuff. We're doing here at the church So yeah, please do join for that and absolutely. Uh, Would you pray to get the service started off for us? Love to awesome
1: Father, we just thank you uh, so much for this morning. Just thank you for being here with us I just pray that you would meet with us this morning be with pastor Rob as he presents your word and god just excite us for the the journey ahead in jesus name amen amen
0: all right well cedar valley we are going to start the service with a time of worship singing so pacific life bible college out in surrey uh, a great place they have uh, degrees and training for ministry specific stuff and just life uh courses at pacific life bible college but they have recorded their worship ministry has recorded some great songs to lead us some worship at home so we're going to be doing a bit of that
1: that's good. After that, we've got a special lesson uh, just for the kids, as always, uh, with Pastor Doug.
0: Yep, and uh, following that, Pastor Rob's bringing us the next message in our series on the Gospel of John, calling it the one and only. We're in John chapter 5 this week, so if you didn't do your reading, just to, you know, hop over to your app, your Bible, whatever, flip ahead there, and uh, yeah, get ready. But I think just before we head into all of that... We've also
1: got a special message from... Pastor Doug and Jenny around Valentine's Day because it is Valentine's Day. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Cedar Valley.
2: Happy Valentine's Day, church family. It's likely you are familiar with the chapter in the Bible that is called the love chapter, which is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind.
3: But you know what we discovered is the verse that ends chapter 12 just before 13, is it says, I will show you the most excellent way to live. And love is so much more than emotion, is it not? It totally is. Love is best seen when it's shown. And I gotta tell you, I know that Jenny loves me when we're walking along and she reaches over and just grabs my hand and holds on and squeeze it. Oh, makes my heart sore. One of the ways that I know that she loves me. And I know that Doug loves me Oh, I have trouble choosing between two. I really love when he just gives me a neck massage. He knows it is my favorite thing in the whole world. And, uh, but you know what a really close second is when he just jumps up and does the dishes. It happens once in a while around <laughs> here. And also I really know she loves me is when um, she cooks and she is so good at baking and cooking. But I know when she, she specifically makes things for me that I like, even though she doesn't really care for them, um, again, speaks right to my heart and to my stomach as well. Well, we uh, had the opportunity to talk to a few couples about love, and this is what they had to say.
0: Clara, <laughs> I think we uh, started dating when we were, you were 16, right? And mm-hmm. I was a couple of years older.
3: Yeah.
0: And uh, yes, yeah, so that, works out to 2021 at uh, 62 years. <laughs> well, there's lots of ways. I know she loves me. Uh, sometimes she says, looks at the calendar says, Gary, do you know you have an appointment at the dentist tomorrow? <laughs> or uh, we're sitting after dinner, watching the news, and she gets up, makes a pot of decaf and uh, gets a few cookies or a dessert, and
3: that's a treat for me. When he comes home and he knows I'm really down in the dumps and he says, Let's get go grab a burger, <laughs> I know he loves me. <laughs> yeah, we met at Starbucks where his sister introduced us, and I can honestly say from that day I knew I'd marry him, and I was in total love. And just, yeah, we met August 12th, we were married December 1st, so. <laughs> I just, um, he puts up
4: with me. <laughs> I was going to say that, I didn't want to say it first. No. When, when we go across the, the tough things in life, we, you know, think about things and come back together and resolve them and we're loving to each other and we do things for each other. I
3: mean when I'm at my worst, um, he still loves me. Sorry, I don't know why I'm crying, <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes life can be really overwhelming and I can get really, angry or frustrated at even when I can be mean. i do not proud of that at all, but sometimes like life is just really tough and he still loves me, which is awesome. He just supports me and loves me, so.
1: You wanna go first?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
5: sure. Well, I guess we've been married 15 years this year and definitely been in love before then. 17 years, probably?
1: About two weeks after we started dating, I think.
5: Love totally changes as you Get older and your life changes. Acts of service are definitely something that means a lot to me now. And Brad just willingly does things and helps around and yeah. Acts
3: of
1: <laughs> Yeah,
5: definitely when he's just so willing to do whatever. And um, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, when he builds me stuff. He always says that when he builds it for me, he's always thinking about me and praying for me when he makes it. And that's just means a lot. I think
1: uh, for me, it's when she does unexpected things for me. For example, I came home from work one day and she had cleaned her car. And that was, that warmed my heart. That, That was special. Or if she makes me coffee, she doesn't drink coffee, but she knows that I do and I like it. So like things that are unexpected. We've been in love
2: since I was 16, and I'm 17 now. I've been
3: in love with her a year longer than that. <laughs>
2: okay, well, when I'm not well, and that we've had various things happen in the last 10 or 15 years, he's taken very good care of me. He also is an excellent cook, and he cooks our dinners and our lunches. She loves me when she shares her hot water bottle with me. Mm. (laughs) So we stick it right between us and we (laughs) cuddle. And it warms us both. So whether you and your sweetheart are wearing matching sweaters today or not.
3: Spend the day showing love to one another. Whether it's a grand gesture or just something small. Showing love is the most excellent way. Bye for now. Hey there, Cedar Valley kids, I'm sure you know what day it is because, you know, last week, I think in school, you were already doing some fun activities around Valentine's Day. And you know what? The other day, I was talking to Felix Swatsky, and they had a cakewalk at their school. Now, when I was a kid in school, we didn't have those. I didn't even know what that was. You probably know what they were. And Felix had won some really neat little cupcakes. And when we went to visit him, he gave me one of the cupcakes that he won in his cakewalk. So awesome. I sure like that. But what you see here is some of the things that people might get or give on Valentine's Day. Now, these are some of the things that I'm giving to Jenny, so don't tell her, okay? I I want it to be a surprise, but, well, you've seen these cool little hearts before with words on them. They're lots of fun. And I know Jenny loves chocolate, so she's getting some chocolate. And well, flowers. She likes flowers. But you know what? These fell in the parking lot on the way in here, so they're kind of damaged. So I hope they're still going to look good by this afternoon. And then there's the cards. Of course, there's the cards. The really pretty ones that say, to the one I love. What a great thing to say. And this one here says, love is a choice, and I choose you. Ah, oh, She's going to like that. But also, I found some really neat ones. And I'm wondering, do you think she'll like these? I'm going to let you vote on which one. Here's some cards here. And it says, why not be my Valentine and some other cool things on here. Maybe you could read those. And along with these, you get a little bracelet tattoo that you can tattoo on your wrist. And they come in a bunch of different colors and that. And so she might like, do you think she would like this one? Or, do you think she would like the bug one? Now, there's tarantulas and there's worms, scorpions, and um, a centipede, and really cool little ones. And then along with that comes these awesome little bug tattoos. So if you send me a note right now on the computer, which one you think I should give Jenny? The bug card with the bug tattoos or the prettier cards with the bracelet tattoo on it. I will let you decide about that. But you know, Valentine's Day is a really cool day because it reminds us about love. And we usually think about loving our sweetheart, which is wonderful, but love comes from God. And love is more than just, oh, feeling really good about somebody. It's really about showing to others our love. Love is best seen when it's doing something. That's right, and do you know That in the Bible, in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 12, check this out. Jesus was saying, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And he wasn't just talking about feeling really nice about someone or feeling that somebody was special. He's saying, I came and lived on this earth for you. I live for you and taught you the word of God. And then I died for your sins and rose again so you could live. Everything I've thought about was for you. I did those for you to help you. Wow, and he says we should love others the way he loved us. Can you imagine if we went out every day and thought, hmm? I wonder how I could love that person over there, or maybe that person over there, maybe my mom or dad, my brother or my sister, or my grandma. Well, it would mean doing something for them that shows how much you love them. So what I'm gonna ask you to do a little bit later on today, and maybe even this next week, is do something that shows somebody in your family or your neighbor or someone at school that you love them. Not just about feeling, But it's doing something to help them that would make them feel good as well. So when we think about this, I also want you, and here's a big challenge for you, for those of you that can read. I want you to go to the Bible, go to the book of John, and read through, and this might take you a couple of days, but that's okay. You'll have all week to do it. I want to, if you can see, how many times the word love or loves or loved is in the book of John. There's quite a few. So you go through there, and that's an assignment for this next week about reading about love, and see how many times, and you can highlight it or circle it or write it down and count them, and then I would love it if you would send me a note or an email later on in the week about how many times you found the word love in the book of John. There's a lot, that's for sure. And you can send me a note about that. So Have a great Valentine's Day with your family, having fun stuff. And also there's some activity pages that you'll get to do now that we sent out to you. And any families, if you didn't get those, just quickly send me an email and I will get them to you right away so your children can still be a part of learning about love and the Word of God through some activity pages we're sending out. Have a great Valentine's Day. We'll see you next week.
6: Here we are on the set of the one and only and before we get to talking about Jesus as the one and only there is also a another one and only in our lives that is David Weeb, and uh, we have some news to uh, to tell you about as it relates to Dave mm-hmm. and that is simply oh <sighs> David's leaving us. Yeah, and uh, that smile on my face isn't because I'm happy he's leaving, but I'm happy for where he's going. Mm-hmm. Where, what's happening, David? Tell us about what what's happened the last few months and where you're where you're heading.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I, first of all, I just want to thank everyone, uh, just to welcome Jasmine and I to the Cedar Valley family. And um, yeah, it, it's sad that I am resigning, but I just feel like God's calling me to a different vocation. Yeah. And so I am still continuing to work with Athletes in Action, um, but I also accepted a job as a residential support worker at Matthew's House.
6: Awesome! Yeah. So Athletes in Action and Matthew's House, so um, will you continue to raise support towards AIA? Yes. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yep. Still, still raise support with AIA. And yeah, yeah I'm very excited what God has in store.
6: So if anybody wants to get a hold of David, just give him a shout and follow that up. But on your behalf, we went out and got him a little trinket, uh, which is our way of saying thank you. And I'll let you open it and Mm. I'll maybe explain the pieces as you open it. So go ahead. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You should also know that in addition to this, we're taking David out next week for lunch. Mm. Staff is to his expressed favorite place, Popeye's Chicken.
4: David, it's what do you fantastic. got there? I,
6: I have a sport check what? card. That,
4: that's just perfect. It's
6: perfect it's for perfect. the sport guy. Exactly. It'll give you some flexibility.
4: Yeah, I, I realize I need a whistle and one of those like uh, boards where you write plays on. So that's, that's perfect right that's there. That's awesome. Yeah.
6: Great. Great and then a little something and something. And oh. Oh, yes. Little, little Show the camera. Go <laughs> zoom it in here. Let's go, baby. Little Raptors uh, <laughs>
4: stress ball there. Uh, that is my favorite it's team. It's also by a bouncy them. ball. It is your oh, favorite team. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to enjoy that.
6: David, thank you, oh, thank so, you much so much. for. That's it. Don't look yeah, for more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. Uh, Thanks so much Mm. for this past two years. In the time I've gotten to know you, I've just enjoyed you, who you are, Mm. your honesty, your heart, your uh, willingness to work at things, Mm. and I've just uh, come to appreciate you. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to pray for you and bless you on behalf of the church family. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Awesome. I won't touch you because that's where we're at at this point. But Father God, thank you for David. Thank you for the way you've made him. Thank you for his conscientiousness. Thank you for the calling on his life that, that he's discerning right now. Thank you for his supporters uh, for AIA, Athletes in Action. Thank you for this opportunity at Matthew's house, which, oh man, it's such good work, working with people who need help as a support worker. And I, and I think knowing David now a little bit better uh, is gonna be perfect for his heart and who he is and how he's wired. So mm-hmm. we thank you for him and uh, all the work he has done here, but we also bless him to, uh, to go and to pursue uh, the things that make the most sense to him according to how you've made him and where he thinks you are leading him. We're gonna miss him, mm-hmm. but we bless him as he goes. And yet, we also know that he will stay and be amongst us because this is a kind of family and a kind of home for him. So we're grateful for that, too. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. I would shake your hand, but I can't do that either. Blessings. Thank you. so the one and only Jesus bursts onto the scene in John chapter 1 as John puts it the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us that's John chapter 1 verse 14 and yet the gospel writer John also tells us that Jesus existed long before then that Jesus has in fact always existed and will never not exist so why the road trip to the planet that he created well i love the answer that our friends at the meeting house in oakville provide to that question and here's the short of it this is what they would describe partly as the gospel in a nutshell there's a little more to their statement but It's core to these statements. Jesus came. This is why he came to the planet. To show us God's love. To save us from our sin and its effects. To shut down religion, which is always an eyebrow raise. What? And to set up his kingdom. But this is is not John's expressed purpose in writing his gospel. As we said at the beginning of this teaching series on the book of John, John states his main purpose for writing his gospel and actually right at the end of it in chapter 20 where he says, and I'm quoting again from verses 30 and 31, Jesus did many other miracles or miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which aren't recorded in this book. But these, the ones that he records, and we're coming to a third one today, but these are written that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John gets right to it in John chapter 2, where he tells the story of Jesus' first miracle turning water into wine at a wedding. So let's just stop there for a second. What kind of God is Is this Jesus, whose first miracle is so down to earth, is so warm and relational, what does this sign tell us about Jesus? That though he is God, he obeyed his mother, who coaxed him actually into doing what he did. That though he is God, he loves being around people. Not, oh, I'm God, and I can't spend time with those folks. He is happy to be at a wedding feast, mixing it up with everybody else, to the point Jesus loves a good party. And remember, a Jewish wedding feast was a week long. That because he is God, he did something only God could do, turning water into wine. But more than that, this was a symbolic act of shutting down religion, his own religion, in fact. Jesus came to shut down the rules, regulations, rituals, and routines of Judaism as prescribed by the religious leaders of his day. Why? Because they had become oppressive. He was Jesus, making a kinder, simpler, more accessible way of being in relationship with God, the one who loves us and made us. And it just turns out that that way is him, Jesus. Chapter two, verse six, tells us that Jesus identified six stone water jars that were used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, so read that as religious or ritual hand washing done from these jars. He fills up those jars with water. He turns water to wine in those jars. Do we think that was an accident? There's no way that was an accident. Jesus is very intentionally repurposing those jars because Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Then Jesus tells a story in chapter 4 of Jesus healing the son or sorry, John, well, sort of, same thing. Jesus healing the son of one of Herod's officers. Jesus doesn't even meet or see the child. He just tells this royal official, you may go, your son will be, your son will live. And that's John 4, verse 50. The officer time-checked this with his servant, And sure enough, his son was healed at the exact time Jesus said so. That's the second sign. Now we're into chapter 5. So please turn with me in your Bibles or open your Bible app to John chapter 5 for sign or miracle number 3. We're going to be reading specifically from verse 1 to 16. So let's set the scene. The scene is a public pool with a covered deck. Archaeologists... um, have evidence that show the pool was water-fed by runoff and some underground springs, which might explain the stirring of the water that's mentioned later, that it was shaped like a trapezoid and that it was divided in two. It had steps down into it, which seems to indicate that the pool was also a place where people gathered to purify themselves for worship. Read it again, like the jars, read that as religious, as ritual cleansing. It also seems that it was a center for healing. John explains in verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And then, and then there's... A missing verse, like literally. Verse 4 doesn't exist in a number of Bible translations. Just check, check yours out. Start at verse 1 and count out loud. 1, 2, 3, 5. Verse 4 is missing in the NIV, the ESV, the NRSV, the CEV, the NLT, and the Net Bible, to name a few. That's, like, that's really weird, right? What's up with that? Well, the very short and oversimplification is, answer is this, that John chapter five, verse four, wasn't in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts, and yet it later appears in other manuscripts. The NIV Study Bible goes so far as to say, and I'm quoting it to say it this way, and verse 4 was doubtless inserted by a later copyist to explain why people why did, waited by the pool in such large numbers. So, some English versions of the Bible have it and some don't. I'll just say this. It's a, it's a pretty curious verse. It feels more like superstition than faith. That an angel would stir the water and whoever got in right after that got healed. But it just might be the contrast that John is setting here, faith in Jesus versus cultural superstition. Let's see. Jesus saw a man lying there who had been sick for 38 years, which he must have come to know in conversation with him. He said to him, do you want to get well? Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty strange question, right? Why in the world would you ask somebody who'd been lame or paralyzed for 38 years if you wanted to get better but it's jesus asking the question right and jesus doesn't ask or say things just to hear himself so it's a really important question it reminds me actually of another question that god asked adam and eve in the garden after they had eaten the fruit where are you it's not possible that god didn't know where they were because god knows everything right So the question wasn't for god as if he needed that information it was for adam and eve as in where are you now since you've eaten from the tree i told you not to eat from and what state do you find yourselves now in shame blame it's a question is God's in the garden of Adam and Eve that's designed to get at the heart? I think this question is very similar. Now, it's worth noting a couple of things here, that the man didn't ask Jesus for help, and that a beggar of that day could lose a sometimes profitable and easy income, if what? If he was cured. And so maybe he didn't want to be cured. So, the question might be intonated properly by asking it this way, Do you really want to get well? Several fascinating things follow now. First, the paralyzed man didn't even answer Jesus' question, which I find odd. He just explained why he hadn't been healed. So he complained about his disability, but when he was confronted with the possibility of being healed, he made this sort of noncommittal excuse. And I'm quoting from verse 7, I don't have a man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Where was his faith? In the superstition or in Jesus? Well, clearly it was in the superstition because of what he just said, but also because he didn't even know who Jesus was, actually, which we'll talk about more in a moment. Then this, get up, Jesus told him, pick up your bedroll and walk. And thanks to Paige for representing that here, this colorful bedroll and the legs that would have been otherwise not useful at all, now healed, as picturing this part of our series on our mural wall. And then instantly, the scripture goes on to say in verse nine, the man got well, picked up his bedroll, and started to walk. So why did Jesus, let me ask this, why did Jesus choose to heal this man of all those gathered at the pool of Bethesda, that day was it something about the man was he the first guy jesus ran into was he the most pitiable or was this god's good grace for common man at work ordinarily faith in jesus was essential for the cure but here again that seems unlikely because the man didn't even know jesus didn't know his name even Instantly, the man got well. Did he have a sense of it, or did he just obey what Jesus told him to do? Finding his healing on the way up from the ground with his shaky, healed legs? My hunch is that he had some sense of it, that feeling well inclined him to pick up his mat and walk, which is, in the end, super encouraging to me, because... It seems to suggest that Jesus' ability to heal isn't limited by a person's lack of faith, which is me sometimes. i would said to staff this week that I think the time it takes for us to reach out to Jesus in prayer is some kind of measure of our spiritual maturing. Meaning this, that the health of my relationship with Jesus seems to be a function of when and how I turn to him. I, I want to turn to him first. I want to turn to him fast. The more I do, I would say, the stronger my relationship with Jesus gets. As many of you know, Jackie turned to me on Monday morning and in a state of panic asked me to call 911 911- because she couldn't breathe. I made the call, I stayed on the line until the ambulance came. The paramedics arrived 10 minutes later, checked her blood oxygen level and her blood pressure. One wasn't great, the other was really not great. They put her on oxygen immediately and loaded her into the ambulance. It's a terrible thing to hear your wife say to you, I love you and tell the kids I love them because she thinks that she won't see any of us again this side of life. I watched the ambulance cart my wife away, me not being able to go with her and me not being able to go to her at the hospital. And then I stood there in my driveway in the bitter cold crying and reaching out to Jesus. And it occurred to me then what a friend I had in him. It occurred to me then that He had answered so many prayers I'd prayed, and so many I hadn't prayed. And it occurred to me then that he had done so much healing when I'd asked for it. And even sometimes when I hadn't. Jesus gives us each other to turn to in times of need, and that's good, and we should. But I want to turn to him first. I I want to turn to him fast. I I think that's the best order of things. Now that day was a Sabbath day. Verse 9-D. And the Sabbath sheriffs, well, they were out. They rebuked him and said, the man who was healed, this is a Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll. Illegal? Really? Well, This is what happens with religion. If you think that not keeping the rules is what got you in trouble in the first place, then you back up those rules with more rules to keep you from even getting in the neighborhood of breaking the original rules. It's sort of like this. I've become a bit of an emotional eater during this pandemic. Anybody else? Acknowledging that this is a problem, I could set up a rule or two to keep me from eating when I'm not hungry. I could set up a rule like no eating after 8 p.m. or no eating while watching TV. But I could also back those up even further too. We won't keep any food in our home so that I don't even get close to eating any time. In theory, it sounds like a really good idea, but in practice, it's a trap that leads to rule-keeping oppressiveness. As it was, the law of Moses was clear enough about keeping the Sabbath. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, all the work that is paid and unpaid, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The intent, of course, was that God's people should rest and worship on the Sabbath and not pursue their normal lives of work and work and more work. Then the religious leaders took over and added oral rules, the Mishnah, to the written rules, the law, to back everything up including rules on what was allowed on the Sabbath and what was not allowed on the Sabbath. For instance, it was okay to carry a man on a bed on the Sabbath, but not to carry a bed without a man on it. Now, before we go on to say, that's just silly, we need to appreciate the historical context here. The Jews had not heard from God in over 400 years by the time Century 1 rolls around, which was a huge deal. This was a people group who were used to hearing from God, chosen by God, in a covenant relationship with God. He spoke to them almost never directly, but through prophets, priests, judges, and kings. And God did so for hundreds of years. Then nothing. Complete silence. The Jews were exiled to Babylon because they broke God's agreement with them. Again and again and again they broke it. God warned them about this and then gave them over to the sum of their choices. So the thinking was, God will speak to us again if we just keep the rules of the covenant. And those who don't are blowing it for everyone. Like there was a rule keeping threshold that would please God enough for him to start talking to these people again. This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your bedroll, especially when there's no one on it. But isn't this like an epic example of missing the point? Well, of course it is. The religious leaders were so obsessed with keeping the Mishnah that they completely missed the point that what? The man was healed! But not wanting to get into trouble... With those religious leaders, the man blamed Jesus. In verse, I'm gonna say, I don't have my record here, I'm gonna see 10 or 11, and you look it up. He says, The man who made me well. In other words, some guy I met whose name I don't even know told me, Pick up your bedroll and walk. It's interesting, isn't it? That the healed man didn't even think. Jesus didn't even take the time to get to know a little bit about him, even his name. Like let me ask you, if you had been disabled for 38 years and someone healed you of that affliction, what w- what would you do? Like hug him to the point of crushing his ribs, cry so much that you'd soak the shoulder of his robe, thank him. Thank him and thank him again. Name your dog after him. Invite him over for dinner. Tell people all about him and what he did for you. Maybe even get a Jesus tattoo. So here's a question. How could someone be so intent on the rules that they miss what God is doing? Have you ever caught yourself doing that? So we're going get to get up now into each other's grills Has someone in our church been so intent on how we do things here that they couldn't see God at work, that they missed the point? God is at work at Cedar Valley Church. He is stirring us to new mission, vision, and value statements to position us as a church for where he is leading us. He has exposed the problems of how we govern the church, that we have effectively four competing working boards, the elders, the executive, the finance, and the staff, and that we aren't actually even in compliance with our own working bylaws. God is challenging challenging us to think more about caring for our community, not just for ourselves. If you have said to yourself, There's nothing wrong with our mission, vision, or value statements, but you don't know what any of them are, and I mean by heart, or you don't know how to measure them, or you wouldn't know how you'd see them in evidence otherwise, then you're missing the point. If you have said to yourself, we like things the way they are, but ignore the fact that the church has been in steady decline for more than a decade, that it operates in contradiction of its own governing documents, and leaders are tired, frustrated, and confused, and in many cases have just left, then you are missing the point. If you have said to yourself, why aren't there more hymns? Or why isn't every Sunday service begun in prayer? Or why don't the pastors call more often? Or why isn't there more for the seniors in our church? Or why do I need to be in a neighborhood-centric, missional small group when I can just meet with my buddies for coffee? Or why did we get rid of the pews? Or why don't we call ourselves Cedar Valley Mennonite Church anymore? And yet wonder why new unchurched people don't show up to participate in the life of Cedar Valley Church, then you are missing the point. I quoted church consultant Thomas Rainer a long time ago, and I'll quote him here again because I think it's a crucial reminder. Members of dying churches were not willing to go into the community to reach and minister to people. They weren't willing to invite their unchurched friends, and relatives. They weren't willing to expend the funds necessary for vibrant outreach. And then this to close up the quote, they just wanted it to happen without prayer, without sacrifice, without hard work. Change will not come without sacrifice. Who at Cedar Valley Church is willing to make those sacrifices let's wrap up our story in john chapter five jesus found the man in the temple complex maybe he was making a sacrifice of thanksgiving for his healing who knows the text doesn't say jesus said to him though see you're you're well don't sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you that's a little tight around the collar right that particular statement jesus confronts the man about his sin Not just a sin, but rather the way he continues to sin. It's the way that verb is expressed. The way that sin is his way of life, how it dominates his life. He tells him, Jesus does, to stop living his life that way. Because something worse than physical paralysis awaits him if he persists in his God-rejecting, life-complaining, self- and other destructive ways of living, namely Hell. Now, before we get too distracted by the idea of hell, I just want to point out the obvious. That Jesus was trying to keep him from it. And he gave this man his own personal object lesson on how to avoid it. To believe in him. The one who just healed him, who just relieved him of his own personal physical hell. So how did the man respond? Verse 15, the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So he missed the point. No gratefulness, no repentance, no worship. Just taking the religious heat off of himself and putting it on Jesus. So in the end, what are some things that we might think about? Well, there like, there's so many things to dwell on and unpack here beyond what I have done. That I'll let you discern those for yourself with the Holy Spirit. But here are a few really broad principles that I noticed that might help you even uh, get going on your own thoughts. Here are three possible takeaways. God is gracious. And by that I mean this. He he can and does answer prayers, and he brings about miracles without us necessarily or probably deserving either. Secondly, Jesus expects repentance. Grace, if we really get it, ought to turn our hearts to. Repentance is just a, like a... Maybe the easiest way to visualize it is a one-eighties, a change of direction from something you were doing that was destructive to something that is productive and creative and healthy. And then lastly, focus on what God is doing. Not on rules or preferences. Again in a moment, uh, Grant and I will knock around some questions uh, for group reflection, uh, but until then let me pray and then we'll get right back. Father, thanks for uh, this story, this third sign in the Gospel of John, where John is taking pains to make clear that Jesus wasn't just this great rabbi, this good guy, but that Jesus is God. And only in and through him can our relationship be restored. You've done that work. It is, I I guess, our work to turn to you to believe it, even as Jesus invited this paralyzed, this lame man, to believe in him. He wants more than nothing else for any and all of whom he's created to avoid hell and to enter into eternal life with him. He's done everything he could. I pray, Father, for those that um, may not know Jesus or might not have had the experience of his love, that your spirit would make that plain to them and they would come to you. And for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, I would pray, Father, that you would search our hearts and reveal where some of the things we've held to and still hold to might keep us from seeing you and then therefore missing the point of you being at work. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Thanks, Cedar Valley.
0: Hey, thanks Cedar Valley for joining us this morning. Again, another great morning. And you know what? I, one thing, I just had this funny thought of like, this is the first time that we've actually done a good job now of archiving what our Sunday mornings are. So mm-hmm. like, they're a bit shorter, they're sometimes a bit more rapid fire, quick it, but you can go back, you can dig in on this, you can get your church content, whatever, the Sunday morning stream service, stuff like that, as many times as you want throughout the week and in months. Just go to the website. Yeah.
6: They're all there. We're online church. That's the very first of our banners. Yeah. They're all sitting there. Thanks for organizing that.
0: Yeah, so that's a that's a really great thing. But a uh, big thing that we want is for this to not just be something you sit back and take in. We want to like kind of dig through the message we heard, the worship, the prayer. No passive consumption.
6: Like- yeah. We exactly. need application. You need to apply.
0: We do, yeah. And that's, I think, exactly how we combat what you just talked about this morning of missing God in action. Yeah. Is you know, if we, We'll miss it if we're just vegging out with the remote control. We need right. to be active in what God's doing. So you've got some questions for us.
6: I do. And so uh, let the Holy Spirit interact, listen to what he might be stirring in you. Mm. And for those that might not know who that is, that's the third person of God who resides in believers, who reminds us of what's true and brings conviction about what's hurting us. And mm. it's, it's pretty cool, actually. <clears throat> so the first question is, would you describe yourself as a religious person? How would you know? Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, others might who, who aren't churched or, or don't have faith in. In, in God or Jesus, right. but would you describe yourself as a religious person? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, so grew up religious
0: in right. a religion. When I fill out a right. uh, census form, I tick the religious box, whatever. Right. Uh, but it, that, my idea and understanding of that has changed, and often has changed because of what the outside world's perspective of religion is. So right. I would actually want to identify myself as not religious, but a person with faith. So you'd,
6: su- you'd fill out that survey form differently now.
0: Well, I guess it depends on the options it gives me, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't know yeah. if they give me as many options as uh, whatever. But okay. h- how would I know? And these are some of the things I've started thinking about now yeah. of how uh, I think it's fair for us to kind of get that sense. And, and this being, frankly, religious with a bit of a negative connotation mm-hmm. because yeah. of how it comes across to people outside of the faith. And mm-hmm. uh, two markers. One is, yeah, just how people see you, right? Like if mm-hmm. they would see you, like, yeah, he is just all about... Uh, whatever the media would put in a bad sort of sense. But the biggest one is... Look-
6: Anything that feel, fulfills the stereotypes yeah, of, of, yeah, of the church cliches. Yeah. yeah, okay, uh, I got it.
0: But uh, here, here's the big one is look at your relationships, the community around you, your bubble, and is it, a, is it just religious, um, right? So like yeah. if you are in this isolated Christian bubble where all of your friends and family and the people you talk to are all in the same kind of faith, it looks more like a cult, religious yeah than it does like you're part yeah. of the world which is directly jesus is charged to us
6: yes absolutely yeah. to love people yeah not just people who agree with me about my religious convictions for yeah. instance yeah is i mean this is a question i'm putting on the plate for me too and it's challenging so what are the measures that's a good question hmm. i think you've identified two um, i think for me it's about the things I would otherwise call maybe spiritual disciplines, which are good things, so prayer, reading the word, um, worship, things mm. like that, but the form of them being uh, me deciding that this is the way it should be and it has to be, and imposing that mm. on, on others, uh, I think. Which starts becoming the
0: cliches, right? Yeah, like, it, like it does a little bit. Yeah.
6: I, I, I think we could confuse, Brexit would say, uh, if we're thirsty, don't lick the cup, drink the mm. water. We can't get attached to the cup. It's the the it's the relationship with Jesus that I, I, it's inspiring, but it's energizing to think that he's undoing so much of that religious culture yeah. in what he did and what we are, I think, invited to do as well, which is just to enjoy a relationship with him. I hope I'm growing cool. in that. I'd have to ask Jackie, she could tell me, I suppose. Right, yeah but I I enjoy him more and more, so maybe that's a good measure. Yeah, I think so. Let's go to the second question. Let's see what that is. The second is, uh, what what is God doing in your life, and how might you, or how are you, resisting what Mm. he might be doing, and how are you joining him in what he's doing? Right,
0: yeah, that that internalizes this whole discussion. It's easy to point fingers. That makes it real, and you know, I think even when, when I was Coming up, yeah, like, my they're
6: missing the point. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I miss the point. Totally. Well, and, and so like I'm, I'm preaching to myself, and that I just talked about this idea of like, what is your community bubble around you? And I, uh, I've gone into full time vocational ministry. Yeah. And that's where I've now realized, I think that's why God's even putting that answer on my mind is like, my bubble is like insanely Christian. It's insanely religious because all the people I work with and all the people I connect with and sure. all my whatever, if it's work-related connections or family-related connections or personal stuff, it's all church. Yeah. And so I think that's where God's starting to make me realize like, man, you have closed yourself <laughs> off a little bit and I hope I'm at least able to influence people to also break past that bubble, but I need to start breaking past that bubble intentionally.
6: Particularly if we're calling others out to do the same. Yeah. 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 Uh, You know where this is a rub for me? I I think maybe a measure of this, how you're resisting, is when something uncomfortable comes your way and you immediately get defensive about it. I've had some tough conversations Mm. with close people in my life recently, and they've been challenging and, and they've been hard to hear, hmm. and I, my natural instinct is to, like, oh, I, I, I can defend myself, I can, I can justify, I can explain, you're just not getting right. it. But maybe the point I'm missing is Jesus is kindly saying something to me out of the mouth of someone who loves me, cares hmm. for me, that I need to hear. Hmm. And so yeah. I will either resist that or I'll start to wonder, what are you, what are you saying here that I need to address because there's something I need to address. Sure. Yeah. Growing pains, right? Yeah. Like God doesn't bring growth comfortably. No, no, no. I, totally. Yeah. Uh, it usually comes out of discomfort or even crisis. Yeah. And so I, I think if you see discomfort as something you are trying to avoid and not the opportunity that it might be, or even crisis like the pandemic we're in, mm. um, you might be resisting what God might be trying to open up to you, to me. So that'd be my thoughts on that question. I think
0: that's great. Okay. Well, I think, uh, you know, we'd love to know your thoughts too. If you want to throw some answers into that in the chat, do that. Otherwise, just keep this discussion going at home with your friends, family. Call up a friend or family. If you've got some small group stuff, make a Zoom call, and that'd be great. We want this to be something that you interact with together. So thanks, Cedar Valley. Thanks, Cedar Valley. See you next week. You bet.